back. Yep. We are here. We are. And what we're going to be providing this week is kind of some 10 reactionary thoughts and ideas from game week three to help you build that team out for game week four because it seems like there were some template teams that were very popular going in game week, game week two. And they kind of flipped on their head a little bit in game week three, I think. Um, so we're here to help you out through that process, give you some ideas on where we think there's hidden value and some places where managers can really find those players that'll be great for their teams. Yeah, it's um, it was a fun week of games that left me in a lot of pain because I had way too many points on my bench, which is a massive kick in the ass, but it's fine. Dude, let's, Paul, let's tell everyone how many points you did have on your bench and who was on your bench. So let me just, I'll read it off to you all. I had 51 points total this week. and Which is really not a bad week. Not a bad week, yeah. but it really blows whenever you have, what is it, um, 32 points on the bench? Yeah, that, that does suck. Yeah. Yeah, that, for sure. Um, I had cash on the bench and also Bowen. So you win some, you lose some, but that's a pretty big L. But it's fine. It's okay. It's only FPL, right? It's not <laughs> like it really matters. Question mark. But yeah, no, it that that one was really painful to take. But also, it is an indictment. It it all not an indictment, but it's a. I think it's a sign that I'm in the right vein of things. You know, like it's. I had the players in my team. I just didn't play them, you know. So I was half right, you know, basically. What we could do maybe real quick. So in your head, before you picked your team, why did you pick, say, Eze over Bowen? Or um, who – Who? so you had Cash. Who? What were your three defenders? You had a Stupin on Chilwell and – And Ben White. Ben White. Okay. Yeah, I mean, just, just looking at the defenders, I mean, a Stupian, he – Absolutely hauled last week, so I was like, yeah, I'm not leaving him out. And I liked the West Ham matchup a lot because Brighton was playing at home, and they typically do pretty well at home. And so I saw Bowen playing Brighton away, and I was like, you know, I'm not sure I feel it this week, which I've, I've been a believer in Bowen since, like, the beginning. He had a great preseason. West but I think Ham something for you like to know, be better. too, though, is you've always been skeptical of Brighton's defense as well. No, I have, but it's also like a Stupian can get returns without – no, 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 I'm sheet. saying like, for so for bringing Bowen in over, say, like Eze, who had a, you know, probably a tougher matchup defensively playing Brentford. Yeah, I don't know. I, I thought there was going to be a lot of goals in the Brentford um, Palace match, honestly. So I, I don't know. I just I got it wrong, literally. And then Cash, I mean, I I knew that since the beginning of the season, he's been the one that's been staying back. He's been inverting it in the back three and, and Digne going forward. Turns out this week that he was the one going forward and he got two goals in the first half. So, um, fuck me. It's fine. It, it's interesting because Villa set up an almost basically a 3-5-2 this week. And they ha- they're they playing a very, you know, wing-back heavy system. But Digne was not. He was pushing high. But the majority of possession that Villa had was on the right side. So, it's a... It, Cash was almost playing as a striker at times. It was incredible yeah. how high he was. It was crazy. Um, but, you know, at least he's in your team. He's not a transfer you have to make. So someone to include in your future teams going forward. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, all right. Well, do we want to wrap on this to you? Now that we've covered the suffering and pain in yeah. <laughs> your yeah, week fine. already. Um, just so listeners know, I had a 59 point week. Um, my top performers were Udogi. 
Um, I brought in Madison for Rashford, which was a bit of a skeptical move. I, it's kind of a lateral move this week, though. I mean, it Madison was, had right? three more points. But. Yeah, and I, I was happy with that, you know, because I like Tottenham's fixtures a lot better coming up. So that justified the transfer to start out with. Um, and then I also had Sokka with the pin. I had Foden with his somehow magical assist after being benched from being sick or what. Who knows yeah, what was going on with that. Honestly, you never fucking know with that situation. I don't know, but it, that was that was strange. So I was just happy to get an assist out of Foden. Um, and then I had Holland, you know, missing the pin, scoring a goal eventually. He had so many chances. Yeah, there's, there's something up with that. I went back and watched Four. the highlights, and he had so many chances that last season, if he was in that form, he probably would have had five goals. I'm not saying that this is this is a thing, but I'm just floating on an idea here. For 14 million, Holland is not worth that right now. What do you mean 14? Oh, for, for 14 million pounds in, in this game, like you can reassign that money to a lot of other places that are going to at least get you the points you expect Holland yeah, to get. But good luck if you transfer him out and then he gets you make, a 20-pointer. Like, it's a, possible, but whenever, I mean, I'm, just, I'm just saying if you want to play the game a different way. Whenever he does find the back of the net early on in a match, he is going to go on a tear. And we, we even saw that, right? So against whenever um, whenever they were just playing Sheffield, right, he scored that first goal and then almost minutes later put one in the back of the net, but he was offsides. You know, so I think his confidence right now is a little low. Well, I honestly, I think part of it is the City team too. Like he's not having, he's not getting the easy goals that he had last year to start off. Like he, he, like if you look at the chances he's had, yeah, they're they're more difficult than just easy tap-ins from De Bruyne of laying the ball across the net and him just doing whatever the fuck like right there. Like, yeah, he's, th- there's a certain ease that he's not getting his goals from, and that's part of the problem too. He's going to have to be more clinical whenever he gets chances, but which he can be, time, he easily can be. What? Not even just more clinical, but he's going to have to be better with the ball at his feet because he's not just going to be able to tap the ball in the back of the net. Like, the chances that Foden is creating for him, he's playing him through with a defender next to him. It's not where he's played through with no defenders around him at all. So I think if he just does a better but job... But, like we said, I mean, it's fine. He has the speed and the strength to deal with that, so... Right, exactly. So I think he's going to be fine, and I think it is very, very dangerous to transfer him out. I would not. It's would just not I'm, I'm just throwing out ideas for people, you know, because it's it's honestly, I don't think I wouldn't do it, but it's it's an idea. Yeah, it's an idea. Um, so I then I had Watkins with the five pointer, very frustrating with how many chances he had. He, as an FPL asset, I don't really want to keep him, but if he keeps ticking away and getting points, and I think I probably will keep him for a little bit. Um, and then I had Jota and Turner on the bench with Turner with a three pointer and Jota with four from that reverted assist that was really strange. And um, then just like bounced off Botman's butt and played through Darwin for the first goal. Just yeah. Such a strange match that Liverpool Newcastle. Van Dyke picks up a red, Newcastle go ahead, then Liverpool somehow managed to get two goals at the death, really, um, and just salvage three points. Yeah, that was um, I was watching that match and it literally came out of nowhere. Like the first goal was like, oh shit, okay, Liverpool have a chance, and then Darwin's like second one was 
I mean, they were both great finishes from him. Like, uh, he kind of showcased why he was such a catfish last year because he has these moments where he's just awesome. Like, he subs on, scores two goals, wins Liverpool this match with Tidman. But then last year, I mean, he had so many easy chances he missed and so many, so many letdowns from him. But as a player, I think we both agree that we hope that he can kind of figure this out because he, he's somebody that if he can find that prime form, he is going to be somebody that can honestly rival Holland when he gets minutes played and can kind of just, if, if he figures it out, he's going to be an absolute menace to the Premier League for a long time. Yeah, but I think g- the comparison to Holland was very dangerous in the very beginning. It, right? it is, but I think it's also valid, too, because they're both young players that came to the Premier League kind of around the same age, the same season. And obviously they're going to be compared because that's just the nature of the sport. That's how things work. You compare people to see how they are against the standard. And Nunez is somebody that has the ability to push Holland to be better and challenge him to be like one of the best young strikers in the Premier League. So I, I'm, I'm, I'm okay with the comparison. My So whenever they both came in, Nunez to Liverpool, Holland to City, there was that comparison because the money was similar. But in my opinion, I don't think they're – maybe they have the potential to have similar abilities, but Holland is just four classes above in my opinion. Because of uh, Holland's easy, he's easily better, but I'm saying that Nunez is somebody that can push Holland to be better than he is by challenging him for that spot eventually. Yeah, I just don't think he's there right now, right? I think eventually. I, that's why I use the word eventually. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. So the ability there is definitely maybe one day will be comparable, but as of now, just just not quite there, you know. Um, so yeah. So what we've done is we've put together. 10 different things that we saw throughout the week or the past couple of weeks that we want to share with you all to help you make better decisions for your FPL team. And maybe, you know, if you're, some of these are probably issues that you're kind of internally debating, trying to figure out what the right answer is. So we'll provide our opinions on those and hopefully help you guys through your thought process this week. Um, And don't forget, there is an international break coming up after game week four. So, We'll have a week between fixtures, um, and we will not have any matches until September 17th um, or 16th. I'm not sure. It's that weekend. So we'll have fixtures for four, a blank, and then also and then Game Week 5 will resume around the September 17th. Okay. Yeah. We'll yeah. wrap on this one and get back in a couple minutes. Quick point here I wanted to make before we close out this first segment is Marina, you did an excellent job this week. She had 77 points. Um, her back line was Chilwell, Cash with a 17-pointer, and then Gusto with 14 points. And then Allison in goal with five points. Um, Saka, Fernandez, and then Holland up top. So I am very, import- very impressed um, with how she picked her team this week. And honestly, we'll, we'll see if she can outscore all of us. Um, it's, it's a great start for her, so we'll see if she can t- continue that run. But, yeah, just wanted to kind of spotlight that here at the top of the podcast. So, yeah, and we'll be right back with our next segment. All right, everybody, we are back. We took a brief little intermission, had some breakfast, and we are ready to dive into 10 things that are going to help you all out with your FBL teams. Yes, we are. Yeah. 
So let's dive into that first one. Um, I think the first one we want to talk about is a little villa discussion. Um, You want to kind of start us all out on that one, Paul? Yeah. um, So Villa this year have had an interesting start to their season. If you look at the first game of the year, they got absolutely hammered by Newcastle. Um, What was it? Five to one, I believe. Yeah, yeah, it was five one, and that that was the result. I think that I think there were a lot of people that were excited going from preseason, especially, and then um, into this season they were really excited about what Villa was doing, everything that's occurred to them so far, and it's one of those things that like this year like, and then they bounce back, and then they have this week this week where I mean they beat Burnley three one. And it just looks like as an FPL owner that, I mean, they have Matty Cash, who was on my bench, like we discussed earlier. There's Diaby. There's Watkins. Like, they they have a lot of viability, and they're going to score goals from what it seems like. So it it seems like a team to me that we should all consider investing in. Because, I mean, a lot of these assets, too, are lower-value assets that for a price point for what you're going to get out of them are good options to consider i think that's going to be a theme throughout for when we're picking these teams and looking at them like a lot of the value in these players is that their price point is really low but there's also tremendous upside because of the systems they're playing in for their clubs um and one of those prime examples examples for villa is diaby right just newly integrating in the premier league and he's looked really great he's converted his chances Mm -hmm extremely well that one yesterday against Burnley was a really nice goal yeah he has an xg according to the Premier League website of 0.88 and has two goals from that right so he's wait he has yes two goals sorry um two goals one assist and really I think he is an excellent option the issue with him is we weren't sure what to expect but Villa have an incredible run coming up. Yeah, they do. Um, they the next three they have Liverpool, which is a tough one. And that that is away, at, so it's going to be at Anfield. They have Crystal Palace, Chelsea, Brighton, and then after that they have seven out of the next eight fixtures are green on the FDR ranking on the Premier League site. So I would fully expect someone like Diaby or. Diaby and Cash to be going into teams very soon. Um, Cash will go in immediately because of his game week. But oh yeah, absolutely, he's going to have a lot of transfer. I expect a price rise for that one for me. Diaby is going to also be going into teams. I think very quickly, very soon. And this is another reason why I'm kind of scared to move Watkins out of my team, right? Because even though he's frustrating, he has. I mean, the second highest xG of any player, which. The highest XG is Matty Cash with 2.09, and Watkins' XG is 1.16. That's crazy. That's pretty wild. Yeah. That's insane. And That's he crazy little stat. I mean, a big part of his XG came from the last match. It was 1.35. So, you know, that's what probably three-fourths of his XG right there just from one match. Um, mm-hmm. So if he was in your team... Be glad he was because he, he excellent FPL asset. Could for be even match. better. He would be on your bench where you can just appreciate that he has the points and you don't get them. That that would be even better, right? Now you really get to value it, right? And yeah, you can cool think shit. back on it. And yeah. Um. 
So is there are there any other kind of underlying villa assets that you'd be interested in outside of what we just talked about? Um, for that, not really. I mean, I, I think those three we talked about, um, Watkins, Diaby, Cash are probably the three main ones. I mean, I think Digney may be somebody that is interesting to other people, but I, I think already having one villa defender, I know I wouldn't be. Mm-hmm. Like I'm for sure not gonna double up on them. Because, I mean, I, I think there's one thing that they're going to give up goals. I, I don't trust this defense that much. Right. But it does seem like, I mean, they're like, they, they, like, I think if you don't already have cash, Digna is an option for you too. Because it seems like they're going to fluctuate who's going higher and who's not um, based on this week and the rest so of So, from what I understand, Digna is still rumored to be on the chopping block in the transfer market. And he's the way I see it. He's just a filler until Moreno can get back. They're mm-hmm. the left back that Unai Emery brought in last season. Um, he had an hamstring issue, I believe, is what it was, and he should be back after the international break. So, someone to keep an eye on. He'll be coming in right around the time when those fixtures get really nice. Um, if you pick him up for game week six with Sheffield away, that could be a great one to bring in Moreno um, and. Someone that I'll be eyeing, frankly, myself. Um, I think he's an incredible FPL asset. Yeah, I think he he has a lot of viability. So he does. I think yeah, it's a so good, good option. Someone, to someone to keep on the radar. Um, yeah, you want to bounce to our next idea? Yeah. So our next idea is we think that now is the time to move on Newcastle assets. Um, if you watched that last match against Liverpool. They looked really good to start out the match, right? And they're very progressive. The midfield there is Newcastle's midfield. Their creativity is so much fun to watch. Between Bruno, Tonali, and even um, Joelton, yeah, I really like the way they've set up. I do worry a little bit about the attackers at the moment, just because of I. I think Almiron was in incredible form last season, and he's out of form this year. So if he's yeah, he better be careful. Or he's he's gonna lose that starting spot. If he's not giving you the goal contributions, when you have someone like Harvey Barnes sitting on the bench, you for sure want to get him in. I mean, honestly, I could see a situation too where if they want to get Wilson in the starting eleven, where they just put Isak on the right wing. What hmm, I think their best the front three is Wilson, Barnes, and Isak. You know, put. I mean, Gordon's not going anywhere after that performance this weekend, so. Yeah, I just think eventually they're going to play their way into that system where it ends up being Wilson and Isak. And, um, I mean, you, you, you probably are right, but I, I think that, um, like, I agree with you fundamentally that I think their best three are Wilson, Isak, and Barnes. But you also have to consider that, I mean, hopefully they can stay healthy enough to do that because I know Harvey Barnes has injury history. Isak has injury history too. So Right. And exactly. Wilson does too. So like hopefully. Yeah, I think that's probably why Wilson isn't playing so early so early on in the season is they they probably want to keep him for Champions yeah, he's League. Made of fucking glass. Yeah, he is. But his underlying numbers when he's on the pitch are insane. It's ridiculous. Um what is XG is expected goals per ninety two. Um yeah, okay. So if we want to kind of think about these Newcastle as- assets um, let's look at expected goal involvement because that's combining XA, XG, gives us an idea of who's really kind of creating overall for them. Gordon has an XGI of 1.32. The majority of that did come from the Liverpool, Liverpool match, but 
He's someone to think about at a price point of 5.5, someone who we know is going to be locked into one of the more aggressive teams in the Premier League. Someone to think about, right? I mean, he's such a good enabler, right? And someone you can put yeah. on your bench, take him in and out easily because you're not worried about that price point. Um, I was really surprised, though, that Isak is fourth down on XGI. I thought that he'd be far higher than that. I thought he'd probably be number one. But I think after the first match, he's just kind of struggled to find good positions, get himself in those places where he can convert opportunities. Um, and I think, you know, Newcastle are li- lacking a bit of creativity up top, honestly, at this point. They are, but I think it's also just them trying to figure out all these new pieces and how they play together. Like, I also think a undervalued person that could be viable for Newcastle is Tenali. Okay, right. I mean, I, I think, like, if you saw the in the Liverpool match, th- especially in the first half and towards before Liverpool took over in the second half, that Tunali is going to be in that role where he's kind of arriving late in the box sometimes, mm-hmm. and he's going to be he's going to be around that area where he's going to. I think he's going to find some goals this year for Newcastle. So yeah, that, I like that. I he's such a talented player. Yeah. Um. That you know he's and he has a creativity to him too that will will allow him to become an FPL asset. He's he's a little bit of a shout. You know, someone who's a little bit of a stretch at times because you're. N- it's not locked on like someone like Isak that he would be involved in those goals, but um, his creativity is there. So definitely he will have those goal contributions. It's just if you get the right week or not, really. It's yeah, kind of how I see it. It would have to be really good timing. Yeah. Um, so the reason why we think Newcastle is a good opportunity is because they have a great run of fixtures coming up. Um, and you could even argue, some people would argue it starts at six when they play Sheffield United, but they play Brighton in game week four that's away at the Amex. I feel like that could be a really good fixture for Newcastle. I'm most excited about that next week. Yeah, it'll be a fun match to watch. Um, We'll see if Brighton can bounce back because they really kind of dropped the ball against West Ham. They tactically, it felt like they were making some mistakes with the way they set up. Yeah. Is what I, what I thought. And you know, they haven't adapted to not having Caicedo in the middle either. Yeah. There's a lot of things with Brighton are trying to figure out, but I, uh, the mindset that they totally will. Yeah. Um, so, you know, we think now's a great opportunity. Newcastle is going to become a very popular team in FPL probably after the international break is what it seems like. But at the same time, if you want to get in early now, go ahead and go for those Newcastle assets. Maybe bring them in game week four this coming week or game week five after the international break. Make sure all your players are going to be healthy, not picking up injuries when they go report for their national teams. And get them in those teams now because they're going to become a hot commodity very soon. Yeah, uh, those are all good points. Like I kind of agree with you there. All right, do we want to bounce to our next topic? Yep. Okay, next we are going over to the coast. We're going to go check out Brighton. And this is a team that we are extremely pro on on this podcast. I'd say, honestly, we kind of like – Brighton was very high on my list this summer of determining which teams I wanted, which team, which club I wanted to follow for the rest of my life, just because the way they played last year made me fall in love with them and get to know their players, get to know basically their club by extension. And it's a great place. There's a lot going on at Brighton right now with under Desarby season. Like he, they have so, one of the main questions I want to pose to people is which Brighton attacker do we go for? 
And I think we, we've detailed a lot of this on this podcast about Luke's in the Marsh camp, I'm in the Matoma camp, but it's also the question of, I don't know which one of us is right, honestly, because I think it's just really a week by week basis. And you have to really look at who they're playing and how they're gonna attack this team. Because if, if it's a team that, like say if I'm looking at a matchup where there's a stronger right back than a left back, then I'll lean more towards Matoma than Marsh, or either way, vice versa, back and forth. So it, I, I think it really just depends on that. And we, like we said, we know that Marsh is going to be more in the assist, and Matoma's going to, or Matoma's going to be more in the assist, and Marsh is going to be more in the goals. So if you place more value there, go for it. But I mean, I, I think both of us agree that either way you go, I think there's going to be goals and assists evolved with their attackers. The interesting thing about Brighton to me is that Marsh and Matoma are directly tied together. The success of both is inherently reliant upon the other. Because of the way Matoma plays, he's so aggressive and is incredible when he's in 1v1 with defenders. He usually beats that defender or either makes runs in behinds and eliminates defenders by doing that. So as soon as he breaks down defenders and makes the backline rotate, Marsh is in these incredible positions where if Matoma squares it, if the ball cycles around to him, he's in these amazing positions, and that's why he's almost nearly leading Brighton with XG this season. You yeah. know, if you look at XA, Matoma is far and clearly going to be their most, you know, creative asset in leading to goals. But whenever you also have, you know, the possibility of Marsh getting the goals. I mean, the value there for either one is immense, right? And it kind of just comes down to personal preference. We know where we both yeah. sit on that debate, but and I, I don't think either of us is wrong, really. You know, no, like, it, it's personal preference. That's all it yeah. is. Yeah. So it, it's very, it's very interesting because it feels like Brighton almost have this issue with having a wealth of talent. Because they're not quite sure who they're to so, start. They're so good at scouting, literally. They are. And they just brought in a new um, DM. I can't remember his name. He's from Ligoon, I believe. Yeah, yeah. I um, saw the tweet from Fabrizio this morning. Hopefully he assists them in playing the way that they want to play because as of now they've been a little stagnant. The ball can't play through the middle, so they're struggling getting it out on the wings. And it's just – it feels a little off at the moment, right? And that was clearly on display against West Ham who are a team we'll talk about here in a little bit. Um, so um, I think this does need to be phrased that Brighton over the next six match weeks has a really difficult run of fixtures. They do. So I think what we'll expect to see here, I think a lot of people are going to move off Xiao Pedro very quickly. Me um, included. Yeah, I think a lot a lot of managers, he'll probably be the most transferred out asset this week. I would not be shocked if that happened. Um, so, but I think we can also make sure a Stupinon should not be leading teams. And I think in both yeah. of our opinions, because his potential going forward, if you have someone who's playing striker, how could you not want to keep your team, right? The forward runs that he makes are incredible. It's yeah. just crazy how he plays. He just bombs down that yeah. left side. In regards to if they're playing Newcastle, you know, Spur, like all these teams, he's still going to be in great positions. I mean, remember Arsenal last season whenever you got that goal to death? Yeah. Um, I mean, we should expect Brighton to get goals against the best teams in the league. 
Yeah, no, they're they're going to be there's going to be goals, yeah. but like like you said, clean sheets are going to be a major question mark, especially. I mean, right. So they play Newcastle this week, Manchester United the next week, then Bournemouth, Villa. That's a big question mark. Liverpool, huge. Man City, question mark. Like I mean, if you look at their next seven games, there's like maybe two games where I think they could clean sheet. So mm-hmm. just be aware of that if you keep a Stupian and you have him as a defender. The frustrating thing about João Pedro though is if he's playing he looks really good yeah. right and it, it feels it feels so strange to me having ferguson and wellbeck line up together when ferguson and wellbeck have the same profile and i don't understand what Zerbi was trying to i do understand what he was trying to do but it felt redundant to start wellbeck and ferguson I, you know how how i feel about wellbeck i think he's just i, I think if you start pedro and ferguson you're going to get a lot more out of that yeah, you're cooking with some hot shit there yeah it's a lot it's right. a lot better i agree but um i don't, I don't know there's something about wellbeck the stability he brings that disturbed just loves that you know i i think a good analogy for this right you know that video of the guy who's making fries and he drops it in the boiling pan and it shoots up in fire mm-hmm. i think that's pedro playing with ferguson the talent there and also their the way that they can interplay i love and that's and then, really and but then you throw in marsh and matoma's ability to yeah the creativity there is crazy to kind of like put all that together you're right i mean it, it's a great combination but to me it feels like something that we'll have to wait till later in the year to really go for pedro because he needs to solidify a spot and it's just it's just not there right now, you know. My concern though is that amongst that striker slash front line, I don't know if it's ever going to be solidified. I don't think we're ever fully going to know. I don't, I, we'll, we'll have to see as the year goes on. I mean, I yeah, mean, yep, yep. It's just a hypothetical. That's true. That's true. Um, yeah, but I think that's kind of. Do we have any other final points on Brighton there? No, I think um, I'm, I'm all good there. All right. Well, let's move on to the next one. This one is more of not even a hot take, but a little more underlying. I haven't heard this narrative quite yet come up in the FBL community. community. We think that Crystal Palace are going to be the one of the best defensive teams in the league this season. If you look at the underlying numbers, they currently sit for expected goals against. They sit six in the Premier League with an XGA of 3.58. So in comparison, City are number one in expected goals allowed with an XGA of 1.33. So Crystal Palace are allowing not very many opportunities. They are very solid at the back, and they really don't commit that many people forward, right? They usually attack with like four or five and keep at least five back the entirety of the time. So I think we can expect them to sit relatively deep. Teams will probably be taking a lot of long shots against them and expect to see them concede on set pieces or not concede at all, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. No, I I think you bring up good points, Luke. Yeah. If we look at Brentford, for example, right? Brentford has one of the highest XGs of any team going into game week three, they had the second highest XG behind city, I believe. And crystal palace shut down their attack, right? To a lot of the despair of FPL owners who had Visa or Mbomo. They didn't get any returns last week whenever they played crystal palace. And that was at Brentford too. 
right? So I think we, going forward, if we can find a good Crystal Palace asset that we believe in defensively, I think they're an excellent team to look at because I think they're a great shout for getting clean sheets. And they're bringing in Dean Henderson, right, for their keeper. So possibly possibly even more solidity at the back. Um, it's a it's a team that I'm very kind of excited for. So if we're if we're looking at Crystal Palace's XA, so we want to see who's creating with that team. Obviously, Eze is going to be at the top. His XA as of now is 0.99. I use second, but then Tyreek Mitchell, their left back, has an XA of 0.38. No assist up to this point, but he's played all 270 minutes. So that's probably someone to look at. I mean, his price in FPL right now is pretty low. Um, let me pull that up. He is currently priced at um, 4.5 million pounds. If we think about it, that's usually a filler spot for a lot of defenders, right? If he's someone you can rotate in and out weekly, not even relying upon having him in your team, and he just rotates in depending on fixtures, he could be a great asset to have. He gives you access into Crystal Palace's defense, and he also gives you somewhat of assist potential as well. Yeah, yeah, so, I think it's valid. Someone to think about. Um, they have a pri- kind of mixed run of fixtures, but next week they have Wolves at home. I think, um, so like your whole point here, I think we're going to kind of see match week five against Villa where where your thesis stacks up because that's a really good attacking team where we'll kind of see what Palace can do with that well I think we also kind of already saw that against Brentford right yeah but I mean I, I think Brentford's like I, I understand the numbers Brentford's put off earlier in the early in the year but I I just feel like with playing Villa and then Fulham and then United Forest and Newcastle and then Tottenham after that run of fixtures, we're going to have a lot more answers. We will, right? We we definitely will. And that that's the thing about this, these ideas right now, right, is we're making these kind of reactionary ideas saying that this is something that could be very possible. We don't know for a fact if it's going to play out. It's, it's nearly impossible to say how, but it, it seems likely, at least to me, that Crystal Palace could be a good team to look for a differential clean sheet. Yeah. You know, no, get a cheap defender um, or even their goalkeeper, you know, Johnston. A good rotation. Yeah, yep, exactly. So, you know, if if teams are looking at wild carding, perhaps, maybe having one of those defenders Price in your enablers. team. Yeah, could be a great play person for your team. Um, and, you know, you might get a couple clean sheets here and there. So, yeah. All right, um, Luke, let's, are you good on Palace? Yeah, I'm good on Palace. All right, so next we're going to bounce to North London. And no, not Arsenal. I can't talk all the time about Arsenal. We're going to talk about, unfortunately, Tottenham Hotspur. And unfortunately. Unfortunately. Mm. <laughs> you have to, man. Um, but so the main one of the main things that I think I've taken away from this early run of fixtures from Spurs is, is that I think James Madison will be in my team for the rest of the year. Like, he just... We we know what he can do when he's on the attacking foot. Like he's one of the most gifted creators in the Premier League, I'd say. And with all the different options he has around him to create, distribute, he's gonna be involved with goals, he's gonna be involved with assists, he's gonna be involved in almost everything they're doing. And this se- this feels like a team that 
is still trying to figure out who they are and their identity. And one of their best players, Son, is kind of just floating out there on the left side, not really existing to the best of his potential, which happened last year. So there's maybe an existing issue that some, maybe something's going on with Son. We don't really know. But the the whole point of this is that James Madison is going to be getting us results, and I think he should be in everybody's team. I mean, for his price point, he's seven point five, right? Like that that that's just necessary. I mean, like for what you're going to get out of him for the rest of the year, he's probably going to end up being if Spurs don't absolutely fall apart, all this stuff. He's probably going to be top three on returns from midfielders for the whole year, be my guess. So if you don't have him, you should get him. And next week, I, I want to have a little discussion about Sun. Do we think that the guy that that led the Premier League in goals two years ago, do we think that guy's still in there somewhere? Or do we think that's kind of moved on and passed? He's certainly still in there, in my opinion. The issue is getting him in the right spaces. And even the bigger issue is he's not playing with Harry Kane anymore. Yeah. And I think the last season under Conte, was kind of a flash in the pan, right? Because it was just, that was a terrible attacking system for anyone involved, if you're not Harry Kane. Um, so that was a bit if Now it's a little bit more worrisome because he's playing in this attacking team and it seems like he's so far out on the left, right? He's almost hugging, hugging the end line. And I just, I don't I think his talents could be much better used if he played in the striker role, right? I think that that's where he would thrive. Yeah. And the interplay between him and Madison there could be really nice. And just imagine Madison turning, getting the ball on a half turn, finding Son making a run in the channel past the center back, right? That's what I'm picturing because Richarlison right now just does not look like he has quite the edge that they need. He has the motor. Like, he's going to put in the effort and the energy they need for him to play that position, but he's just not finding the right spaces and he's not converting whenever he has like whenever he yeah. got played through by Madison, there was that um Madison played him through the middle and then he kind of bobbled things around and then took a shot off the keeper. Right. If he's in form, he takes that touch and just hits it right around the keeper without even all the extra trying to make a touch here, wrapping it around himself. All that's unnecessary. He just needs to put the ball in the back of the net. And he's in his head right now. So I think Son would be a better shout for striker at the moment. Yeah. I I don't I, I see what you're saying where Son's more of a central role where he can kind of just do a little bit less maybe and just kind of focus on scoring goals, which is something I think honestly, I think it's gonna be one of those situations where when he finds the first one this year, we're probably gonna see more goals and assists follow right after that. So it's maybe it's somebody that, I mean, for $9 million, to take a punt on him for a little bit. I mean, so they play Burnley this week and then Sheffield next week and then the North London Derby against Arsenal in um, game week six. It seems like Son over the next two weeks maybe somebody to take a gamble on if you feel like doing so. I think if you're going to take a gamble, he may be he's not a bad option to do it. Do we think Madison is Madison is the better asset to have for FPL oh, right now? No, no but question. Yeah. My, so that's established, right? We think Madison's a better asset. Yes, easily. Do we think it would be worthwhile to have Madison and Son in the same team? Is that something that you think would be an that, interesting? That's kind of what I'm proposing a little bit. That I mean, like, I mean, playing Burnley, who 
I mean, we saw what they did this week. And then Sheffield, I, I think there's going to be a lot of goals associated with those two games for Spurs. So just float an idea out there for people, you know? It's interesting, yeah. Um, and then definitely um, something to think about. What were you going to say? Uh, I've got a secondary point on Spurs that kind of overlaps with another point we want to make later on. So you finish your thought, and then I'll I'll go. Okay, um, so the next thing about Spurs I kind of want to explore a little bit is if we're looking for a defender on their team, there's two that I think have a lot of viability, and that's, how do you say his name? Like you, Udogi. Udogi is probably going to be number one. But then the one I want to look at is Pedro Poro. Because I, I think that there's going to be, he's going to have a week, I think, at a certain point where it's going to be like Naughty Cash where he's going to have maybe a goal and assist, all these things, because he's going to be bombing forward on that right side. But so the way Tottenham have been playing, they've been inverting their right back into almost that DM center mid position, mm. right? Yeah. Um, so in like their first match, Emerson Real looked great. He ended up getting a goal, and he the way he was playing is he'd play that central position almost, and then make like a knifing run through the middle and overlap a little bit over top of Kulisevsky. But my issue with Poro or Royale is we don't know who's going to start week in, week out. That's yeah. the scary thing about them. I mean, Poro has, he got 87 minutes against United, 90 against Bournemouth, but we don't know next week what's going to happen. So that And if that becomes clear that one of them is the favorite and say one of them goes out in the transfer window before the, before the deadline, then immediately, right? Like, incredible FPL asset. But something we do have to keep in mind, though, is whenever we look at um, these players, Udogi is 4.6 million pounds, right? Yes. And comparatively, Poro's 4.9 and Royale's 4.5. So Royale would be the same price point, but on the left side, I don't think Udogi has any competition for who's going to be, who's going to be playing left back. And if we know he's getting forward like he was last weekend, getting that assist along with the clean sheet, thank you very much, King. Um, <laughs> that's exactly what we want to see. We want to see someone who's locked in, who we think is going to start every single week and has that creative potential. And I, I think Spurs will keep a fair amount of clean sheets. Um, I like the way that Vicario looks in goal. He, I think he's very assertive. Um, he was really good. What was very, it? Um, uh, when they played United. When they played United, he yeah, was he made really, some really good saves. Good. So I don't know. I like what Spurs are building right now. Even with selling Harry Kane, it seems like they're primed for a really good season. Yeah, no, I think it's a very exciting time to be a Spurs fan, which sucks for being an Arsenal fan. Not, not that I'm. I'm honestly, I'm more excited about Arsenal than I am about Spurs. But it there there's something else happening in North London under Pascoglu that is gonna gonna catch on in the next like in this year I think you know yeah yeah um, so let's pivot to point number two I guess point number three about Spurs. What I think is that James Madison is going to be greater than fifty percent owned by Christmas. I, yeah, I, I think, think he's going to be such a great FPL asset as long as he stays fit and healthy that every manager is going to realize they have to have him in their team. Yeah. Um, so for people out there who are looking at investing in players and want to you know, create value for their team, 
I would say get Madison into your team very soon because not only is he going to be getting goal contributions, but I think that pr- those price rises are going to come in pretty fast because he was definitely underpriced by the game at 7.5. Oh, yeah. no. Yeah. I, I, if he would have been at 9, if you flipped him and Son, not that you'd say Son should be 7.5, or maybe he should be, e- even if Madison was around 9 or 10, I still would have invested in him. Well, that's an interesting idea, right? Let's compare Kuliseski to Son. So their XGI, Kulusevsky's XGI is 1.03. Sons is 0.98. Yeah, he just doesn't look involved really at all. And Son is 1.5 million more. Yeah. I think them being at almost the same price point is fair, right? The thing about Son is he has incredible explosive ability. But ultimately, but we also haven't seen it for like, like yeah, he had the hat trick game last year. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Is where shout, is it shout, at? shout out, King. But, um, yeah. I, I I don't know, man. I just don't. I just don't really see it from Son right now, which I want to, but I just don't. Right. Something that'll help a lot if we can get an answer to who is on pins with Spurs. Yeah. I feel like it's going to be Son. I think that's kind of the general consensus. Postacoglu did make a statement saying that Son would be their pin taker. We haven't seen it in practice yet, but then he did say Madison was second after that. Um, and he please matters in that quote Do matters <laughs> in that quote he mentioned that um who was it someone was continually practicing their pins but they needed to practice long i can't remember who it was he was talking about i think it was i don't know i missed that one it might have been someone it was a defender i think it might have been like ben davies or someone like that i don't know I um, gotcha. but yeah so overall thesis i think we think Madison's going to be over 50 percent owned i think he's going to be locked into a lot of teams so um, go ahead and get them into your team now because Spurs have a great run. They play. Um, I have it. I have it right here. So I've got it right here too. Go, you go. So they play Burnley, Sheffield, Arsenal, Liverpool, Luton, Fulham, Crystal Palace. So besides those little, that little sandwich right there of Arsenal and Liverpool, they have a really good run over the next seven weeks, and it seems like maybe. The time to take a shout on them would be the, the first two games, then maybe keep those assets you have over Arsenal and Liverpool, and then maybe, I mean, a triple up of Spurs going into Luton, Fulham, and Crystal Palace sounds kind of spicy to me and sounds very enticing. It does. It sounds very interesting. Especially um, if we can discern more of, like, where they're form. Especially if they come out of Arsenal and Liverpool with two really good results where they have three points out of each then I think we're going to see a lot of the FPL community adjusting to them and bringing in, bringing in some serious assets. Another interesting shot for Spurs. If Richarlison starts finding the back of the net, I think Will that... Will he, though? I don't... If he does, I have no idea. If he does, I think Madison could become a very sneaky captaincy shout. Yeah. Um, because of the way he creates. And if Richarlison gets into form, I mean, you could easily see Madison with two, three assists, maybe a goal here and there um, in one match, right? Yeah, um, that's viable, so yeah. Something to think about, something to, you know, keep in the back of your mind. But let's move on to our next um, thing for FPL managers to think about. I, I, did, I just didn't mind. It's oh, yours. my bad, it's sorry. Yeah, we just did Spurs. Um, yeah, that's that's true. Okay, um, so the next thing we want to talk about, we kind of mentioned them a little bit. I think West Ham isn't excellent excellent upside opportunity for fpl managers right now 
Um, Paul already was very early on this one with having Bowen in his you team. You just have to start him whenever you put him in your team, just everybody, just so everybody knows. Yeah, if they're on your bench, you don't get points from them. That is excellent advice there. I think just a little critical great. analysis yeah. for you. But go ahead, Luke. Um, so if we look at West Ham, right, they're going to sit deep. That's just who they are. They're going to be very solid at the back. David Moyes is focused upon building his team around being solid at the back and then building out from there. But with the addition of Ward-Prowse, a creative engine, um, we have Bowen on the right. Antonio looks Alvarez. good Yeah, Edson Alvarez, the DM position, mm-hmm. um, locking things down in the middle. But then we also have the addition of Kudos. Mm-hmm. from Ajax yep. um, he is going to be a lot of fun and I don't think his FPL price is out yet if you could check I've, on that poll. I haven't seen anything um, but I think he just signed yesterday so yeah so the issue with West Ham at the moment is they have an incredible difficult run of fixtures coming up yeah it's bad um, <laughs> I'm not even gonna lie it's not good but the good thing for you here Paul right is you have Bowen at the moment. They go away to Luton this week. They're the Friday fixture. Mm-hmm. You can keep him for that and then happily get rid of him during the international break. Oh, yeah, absolutely. That's just, so, just so people know, right? So West Ham's run. They go away to Luton, international break, and then they come back and play City at home. Then they play Liverpool away. They play Sheffield at home, which is a really nice fixture. And then they play Newcastle at home and then Villa after that. And then the fixtures get a lot easier. So around game week 10, you know, October 29th, a little ways off in the future. It's a little while. Um, I think they could be a great team for us to look at. We'll see how they play a stack up against the really great teams in the Premier League. Maybe they put in some good performances. You know, they play great against Brighton, who I think is secretly one of the better teams in the Prem. Um, so it, it's, it's very interesting. And if we're going to look at West Ham, what players do you think we should look at, Paul? I have a couple. Do you have a few that you think we should I look mean, at? I mean, I think... From my perspective, I mean, Bowen, obviously, I think he's nailed on pins. He's going to be involved with their attack right away. And then also, I mean, Ward-Prowse, I mean, he he always has the sneaky chance of if you give up a free kick in the wrong spot, you know you know what's happening to that. So he has that option. I think that Paqueta. Uh, Paqueta. <laughs> yeah, honestly, I can't even know. That's I, I, Antonio probably it's for me it's Antonio War Prowse or um, Bowen most likely. Okay, something that I would like personally is I think getting in on West Ham's defense would be a great idea. Not over this round. I wouldn't do it with this round of fixtures. How? No, right at this point in time, no, not with who they're playing. But once that run of fixtures clears up, I think getting a West Ham defender or keeper, I think around the time around that time, you know. October 29th, you know, a little far off in the future. I think a lot of managers will be looking at wildcarding. That's around game week 10. That's a really prime time. I think the fixtures, they really switch for a lot of teams, like Newcastle, um, who else? I think um, Liverpool and Spurs. Their fixtures become incredible around the same time. So I think we'll see a lot of managers wildcarding around then. And including a West Ham defender could be a really good idea, or along with the attackers that you mentioned just now. Yeah, yeah, it's, um, yeah, I I think it's more of a wait and see with West Ham how they get through this little trial they have going on of their um, fixtures. 
But, I mean, uh, I think it's something to keep an eye on, you know? Yeah, definitely. And with Seattle the way they played last weekend, um, a team to look at, you know, keep an eye on their fixtures. I would stay away for now unless you're like Paul and you already have Bowen. Um, but, yeah, keep that in mind. Um, before we jump into our next um, segment here, not segment, sorry, our next um, point that we want to make, how about we take a little break um, and then come right back? Yeah, that's fine. We'll be back around right. in a minute. Bye. All right, everybody, welcome back to Top Ends with Twins. We're going to dive into a topic you all are probably tired of hearing me discuss, and that's going to be Arsenal. Uh, the true North London boy coming <laughs> back to his roots. It's it's so cute. <laughs> Listen, when you're born in a small town in Kentucky, you have to make do with what you have, Lucas. That's true. <laughs> no Premier League clubs <laughs> around to support. That's it, it's sure. really <laughs> difficult to find an international club to support whenever there's only cornfields around you, so true fair point good so, thing for so we end up technology. we end up where we end up you know that's that's true and you did go through the process yeah did um, the process but so as from an fpl perspective i kind of want to bring up arsenal because i think there's a lot of questions right now with um what arteta is doing he's he brought in a new system this year where Havertz is involved and then he's not and then jesus has been hurt Saka hasn't looked great but he's on pins He's he well first he's not on pins then he's on pins, Odegaard has looked like Odegaard still looks good. Martinelli hasn't had a great start to the year, so there's I feel like there's a lot of questions circling around Arsenal. So maybe we can help to reduce some of those question marks and make them more just periods. You know where we're we feel a lot more comfortable about some of these assets. Um, or whether we discern discern if we should move off. Actually, one of the big questions I have right now, Luke, is. That I'm unopposed to you, but also we'll also talk through it. Is mm-hmm. Ben White as an FPL asset? Is I think I'm about ready to move off him. You and the Gabriel owners as well are ready to move off of Arsenal's defense. Yeah, Gabriel's right. a whole different thing. But yeah, so okay, as far as Ben White goes, right? He has been playing in that third center back position mm-hmm. as of late, right? Oh, I guess second, honestly, because he's playing. Um, he's playing right next to Saliba, essentially, right? And mm-hmm. preferably the reason why we think Arteta wants that is his ball-playing ability from the back. Yeah, absolutely. But as we saw last season when Ben White was playing right back with Saka, their interplay is really good. We're kind of missing out on that with Partey playing the right back and inverting into the midfield. Ben White's not able to push up the way he was before, and... Saka doesn't have someone to interplay with that understands him the way that White does, I think, mm-hmm. personally. Um, really, in my head, I think Arteta is vastly overthinking things and needs to simplify. So you th- you think the current system needs to kind of go away and they need to go back to last year's? Yes, I think so. I think so. that's the discourse I see on Twitter a lot with a lot why, of Arsenal fans. My question is, why would you not maybe... I would be okay personally with if you are dead set on playing Partey, start him out at left back, play Ben White as the right back, and then just invert Partey into that Zinchenko well, role. It's, from it's last kind season. of like the same conversation a little bit though, like because I mean, even if you play, even if you do that where you put um, Partey. Partey on the left, I mean, you're still Ben White's still gonna have to stay back a lot. 
with Partey going forward. Not necessarily, because Zinchenko was inverting all of last season as well. I mean, he was, but like it's also like I I I don't know. I I think Arsenal in my in my head, I'm keeping Ben. I'm gonna keep Ben White probably this week, most likely because if they go back to the old system, which I think there's a chance against United, they possibly could. That Ben White is still he's extremely viable FPL asset. He is, but if, I think at the price point you're it. paying, you're paying 0.5 more than you are for Saliba. At this point, it's less than 0.5 because of yeah. price rises. But Saliba feels like a better asset to me at the moment because he has that goal threat, and now mm-hmm. Ben White just doesn't have any kind of threat at all. No, there's nothing. If you look at the stats, it's like XGI, the match week one, 0.03, match week two, 0.02. Last week, point one zero. Like, it, it, there's just not anything there, and that's honestly, as an FPL manager, I think one of my big things this year. I was like, if I have a defender, they better be going forward because I want clean sheet chance. I also want goals and assist chance too. You know, right? And the thing about Arsenal too is, I feel like they're not going to keep clean sheets. It just feels like, yeah. even though they dominate matches, it just feels like they're built to concede fluke or you know. Uh, say say they play someone like Luton, right? Luton has three shots on target. You could see two of those going in. Yeah, right? it's just with the way it's it really feels. funny though. Like it's one of those things where I feel like there's just something lacking in the mentality of the team where like, they kind of turn off for moments. And there's just these little times where I mean, like against Fulham, I mean they're up. They they, they go up two one. They get the goal to secure three points and then out of nowhere in the 86 minute they give up a stupid corner and then they, they let somebody literally have a tap in on the six yard box on a corner where mm-hmm. nobody clears it i mean it's just shit like that that happens where it's like you have to batten down the hatches you know to make if they want to have the year they want to have you can't let that shit happen in my opinion q raya i think he I don't know when, maybe after the second international break, I think he's eventually going to lock in that starting spot because his shot-stopping ability is incredible. Ramsdale's really good. He's he's Dude, Ramsdale's great. an elite shot-stopper, too. He's good. Eh, eh, I don't know. I think sometimes Ramsdale, he, he's a bit up and down in my opinion, right? I think Raya is consistently one of the best shot-stoppers stop, shot in at least the Premier League. Yeah. Right? So I think that consistency that he offers might eventually allow him to prevail over Ramsdale in the starting spot. Um, But going back to your thing about white, right? Whenever Zinchenko is fully fit, him being in the team is going to make a huge difference, right? Mm -hmm. He offers a creativity from the back and kind of, you know, solidity that Arsenal are really missing at the moment. Yeah. Totally um, agree. Completely different from my being a manager of Gabriel for my FPL team. I don't really understand Arteta not playing Gabriel, right? He's someone who's been locked in the team for so long. And it's not like he was, you know, doing incredibly. I, I don't know what's going on there is what I'm trying to say. There, there's not something sure. going on behind the scenes. There's no There's no doubt about it. I mean... It's very, very peculiar, right? Maybe we'll figure out one day, eventually soon. Um, Who knows? But... It feels strange. It would be, I would be intrigued to see if he moves on to a different club. Yeah, because um, in the international market, I think he's seen as one of the best center backs available. Not yeah. that he's available, but teams would really like yeah. him. Yeah, no, absolutely. He's he's strong. He's fast. He sometimes makes rash rash decisions. He's pretty good with the ball at his feet. I mean, he 
He he is for sure a top five premier, not just not just Premier League, but like premier center back. You know. Yeah, he's got all the attributes. Yeah. All right. So another little thing I want to talk about with Arsenal is Gabriel Jesus up top. I think him coming off this injury, if he can stay healthy, I think he's going to be a very viable asset for people to consider up top. And I, I don't think there's. I think Arsenal are going to have goals, and there's also the question mark of how much is he going to be involved with the goals because he does a lot more than just scoring goals for them as a number nine. But he he's somebody that can, in any given week, have a hat trick. There's no question about that in their attack. So, Someone that I think will greatly benefit from him coming back is... Martinelli. Martinelli. But I also think Havertz is going to love having him there. Yeah. Because Havertz is someone who likes to link up play and kind of play in those tight little spaces with other people who are great at linking up play. And I think those two are going to be a prime fit. Like imagine a triangle of Havertz, Martinelli, and then Jesus. Yeah. Right? If you get Havertz in that little half space between the two, just I think that's going to be incredible for Arsenal. The ability for them to create. And from an FPL perspective... I think Jesus is going to be in excellent positions to be assisting, getting goals. And we know with how Arsenal plays, like he's not, if he has chances, they're not going to be that difficult of chances. Yeah. Because of the positions he takes up. Mm -hmm, For sure. So um, definitely a great shout there. They do have some difficult fixtures coming up, though. They have between now and game week 11, they play Newcastle. Chelsea, if you want to consider that a tough fixture, that that is a way at Stamford Bridge. They play Man City, they play Spurs, and they play Manchester United. So out of those next seven weeks, five of those are really difficult opponents. Yeah, but it's also the question mark question you can pose a question too of Arsenal is an absolute elite team and maybe it doesn't matter who they're playing, you know? That's Which, true. But I mean, it's more difficult. There's no, there's no question about that. But it's also, hey, maybe they will still just get results, you know? Perhaps this is recency bias. But as of late, they don't look like they figured themselves out yet this season. No, they have not. And there's, when you're no. going against teams like this, that is a recipe for disaster, right? It is, but it also really helps to figure stuff out, too, so baptism through the fire <laughs> yeah we'll, we'll see yeah. we'll see how that goes see um, what they come up with i think that's all i have for arsenal luke i know we just did a little um an extensive segment on that but um okay is there anything else you'd like to add or you just want to bounce to your next subject i have a question for you right yeah i think a lot of martinelli owners are to the point of where they're not sure if they want to keep him or not right because he has one goal contribution up to the point in the season. That was one assist in match week one against Forrest. Yep. His underlying numbers have been pretty good. Like, against Fulham, he he should have scored, right? Um, so my question to you is, do you think Martinelli, Martinelli is a hold, or do you think he's sell? And if he's a hold, is it because Jesus is coming back soon? I think it, I think he's a sell right now. Okay. I would... I would probably most likely sell him just because with with the stuff going on with with Jesus coming back that is enticing but I mean the matches they have coming up the different options that Arteta has like I'm not saying that Martinelli is not going to start which I think he should be as an Arsenal fan like I think he's great but I mean 
I, I think we kind of talked about this at the beginning of the year, too, that, I mean, like the Pep roulette thing at City is 100% real, and I think Arsenal's getting to the point where they have a wealth of attackers that all deserve to start. And if you're not getting results as manager, as Arteta is looking at this, he's going to try different things. So I'm not I'm not saying Martinelli's rotation risk and all this stuff because easily next week he could prove me wrong about all this stuff. But we should just consider it, especially as, as an asset of 8.0 when there's so many other assets like in, in Buemo. In Bumo. In Bomo. In Bomo. <laughs> Damn it, dude. Words. <laughs> Slowly we will just, get out. Just, I'm, I may, I'm probably slightly dyslexic, so I'm giving myself a little out. But um, there's so many other assets. I mean, Marsh at 6.5, Matoma 6.5, where you can drop down a level and, may, and get more output than you've had with 8.0, and then you can redistribute those funds elsewhere. elsewhere. So I just think as holistic FPL manager, there's probably better options out there than somebody that you're questioning who may have rotation risk sometime soon. Here's the thing. Raheem Sterling oh is priced at I, seven I million. Can't, dude, I, I can't I can't priced do at it. seven million. You could easily drop down from Martinelli to Sterling. And I think a lot of managers are gonna make that pivot. Yeah. So let's go into our next point. Uh, this 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 whole this segment's point, gonna just drive me up a fucking wall. The title of this point is "Is Raheem Just a Dream?" And I'm gonna be honest. After looking at the numbers, watching the match against Luton, I think that that performance is going to be a mirage. You think right? so? The reason that I say this, right? So let's let's dive into the numbers because that's kind of how we really want to make sure we're we're looking at this. From this past game week, Sterling ranked fifth overall for XG. Just in the one week, right? Against Luton, he w- with his XG, he was fifth overall in the Premier League in XG. With an XG of 1.25, ended up with two goals and played all 90 minutes against Luton, right? But comparatively, let's look how he perform- he's performed for the rest of the time there, right? When he's been with Chelsea for the rest of the season, right, he has accumulated an XG of um, where is this? of 1.3. If we look at what his XG was in the last match, his XG was 1.25. So doing the simple math, yeah. his XG in those other two fixtures has been a cumulative XG of 0.05. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. So let me let me keep going. Right. Go ahead. Go ahead. So our question there has to be: How did he get s- so high of an XG? How was he in such great positions? If you look at his heat map, he is predominantly on the right, obviously, right. But a lot of the places where he's picking up the ball are outside of the box. You know, there is a segment of his possession that is kind of to the right side of the six-yard box. And on the heat map, that's going to be more of like a yellow, bright yellow. His red area of possession is probably 35, 40 meter yards away from the box. Well, away from the keeper, I guess I should say. Um, so he's picking it up in like mid position, right? Yeah. It's He's not even in the final third whenever he's picking up, kind of in the second third, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, but if we look at Luton, right? Luton have conceded the second highest XG of any team in the Premier League. So they are conceding chances left and right. 
and they've played two fixtures. Yeah. They haven't yeah. played three. That's that's go ahead, keep right? making your so point. So this is but. this is the huge thing here. I think any team that plays Luton is gonna find a lot of joy, especially at this point in the season, until Luton change what they're doing. Luton have to realize that they're not gonna be able to play progressively. They're gonna have to sit back and they're gonna have to probably pack it in even more so than they already have. Yeah, so um the the real question, sidebar, um next week when West Ham plays Luton. Are both teams just going to sit back in their halves and <laughs> just let the ball stand in the middle what, of the pitch? What's going to happen? Gonna happen? No one's going to kick it off. It's just going to yeah, so happen. It's just going to sit. <laughs> like you have all 11 players just along the goal line. Okay. Yes. Yeah. My big point here, I think that Sterling is going to struggle. He looks better than he did. I will 100% give him that. I don't think he's this incredible fpl asset out of nowhere that a lot of people think he is right he could go and you know now he's found the back of the net bag two goals next week right it's very possible i mean they have forced and that's going to be at stanford bridge but forced are a much better team than luton not under maddie t's watch man yeah i don't i don't know he's gonna shut that shit down hopefully <laughs> um I hope if he's still starting <laughs> shut the fuck up don't say that um, yeah, so Don't talk I like really would just advise FPL managers to be very careful about Raheem Sterling because they do have a good run of fixtures, right? You know, it goes Forest at home, Bournemouth away, Villa at home, Fulham away, and then Burnley away. That's why everyone's so excited about Chelsea. They have great fixtures, but then those fixtures turn very quickly and they get very, very bad. They go Arsenal, Brentford, Spurs, City, Newcastle, Brighton, United. That is horrible. So I would greatly expect a lot of people to bring in Sterling this week. And the probability, in my opinion, is that he blanks. We'll see. Because Forced are actually a really good team. I think they've, they've impressed so far. I, you know how I feel about Sterling and I'm not going to allow that to cloud my judgment on an FPL asset. <laughs> Just kidding. I totally am. Because <laughs> yeah. I'm not a rational FPL manager. But remember, remember I remember last year. One of our points was that. I know, I know, I know, I know, I know. But in that situation, I'm j- just in general for Chelsea. I don't trust them yet. That's more my point is, is that Chelsea is still figuring their stuff out. And yes, they had a really good week against Luton, but I don't believe in them yet. I don't think they know who they are. Like, and Nicholas Jackson, yeah, I, he's going to stay as one of my forwards. But that's just because he looks really, really good up top. But Chelsea is a whole team. I don't think they know who they are yet. Mm, so I don't know if Jackson looked good against Luton. His, some of his touches were off, and I kind of felt like he was just kind of off the pace a little bit. He, he was, but um, he still got me a result, too. So Yeah, no, it, that, that does matter, definitely. But I think there's a little as, more growth As a there collective body through the whole season, he's looked pretty good as Chelsea's starting number nine. Speaking of Chelsea, can we just have a collective side that Ben Chilwell was three yards away from goal and decided to pass the ball when he had it one-on-one with the keeper? Chilwell, shoot the ball. Yeah, bro. Just come on. Honestly, all he had to do is slide the ball to his right foot, which I know he's completely adverse to, and then just just easily slide it by the keeper. He could have just hit it. He could have hit it with his left foot, too. I mean... Yeah, it's it's whatever. It's whatever. All right, um, Luke, are we done with Raheem? 
not the dream, Sterling? I think so. Uh, the underlying numbers kind of tell a different picture than what people see, I think. So, yeah, yeah we're done. Um, let's move on to our last and final point. Okay, so I want to focus real quick on Manchester United. And this is, I think there was a lot of discourse going into this last week about the Rashford-Bruno camp, about most people that people that had doubled up on United to that route. And we saw last week what what can happen sometimes, you know, where <laughs> you you question things, you question things, you question things, and then there's a week with United where you just it just kind of works out, you know. I mean, Bruno had a pin, Rashford was on 10 points. It, it Rashford it wasn't on, he had seven. seven. Seven points on 10, sorry, I was thinking of Madison. Um, but yeah, I, I think that looking at United going forward, I personally have Rashford in my team, and I'll probably hold him just because if he's navigating back to that left wing, I think he's gonna he can be dangerous against any team he plays. And they play Arsenal this week, which he has shown that he, especially last year, he loves showing up against Arsenal. And he's going to, I think he's probably going to get a goal or assist against Arsenal coming off this last week. You think play. Rashford will? Yeah, I think he will. Interesting. Yeah, I don't know. There's something about him running at that, running in from that left wing against the Arsenal that just scares the shit out of me, which... I think you're I having think. flashbacks to when they played last season. Yeah, you know, I, I for sure am, and he was in a lot better form then. But the, I don't know. I just, I just feel like he's probably gonna, he's probably gonna get something out of it. Yeah, and I, I, I don't. The, the The whole point is, I really don't trust Arsenal's defense right now, too. So that that is proven for sure. My question here is, I not my question. My statement is, I think that Bruno is a far better asset to have than Rashford at this point because he's nailed on pins. He's n- well, he's nailed on pins, but his numbers are exponentially better. Bruno's leading the league in XA right now. He is probably leading in XGI as well, X expected goal involvement. So from that perspective, I'm very happy I moved off Rashford this week, at least for now, right? Yeah. And now I have the optionality of saying, well, one of Bruno and Rashford aren't in my team. But I can still easily go and grab them after, you know, maybe game week six, game week seven. Um, so, Luke, you're you're gonna want to go earlier than that. Actually, I'd say even game week, like so. It's Arsenal, Brighton, and then Burnley, Crystal Palace, Brentford, Sheffield, and City. I I think even like the Arsenal matchup is one thing, but playing against Brighton at home, I I think there's gonna be goals there for United too. Yeah, right. And then, of course, that's, the games after that. You know, we have the international break between now and then, so that's something I'll think about. But really, in my mind, I would kind of like to maybe look at Hoyland to be in my team whenever he's healthy. That's Possibly. something that... That's something you're going to have to wait and see on, you know? No, that's what I'm saying. Is I want to wait a little bit of time. And I think, you know, give me three game weeks to see how United develop. If I want to get Bruno Rashford back in, I can easily do that. Um but as of now, I'm fine with not having them. It's going to hurt. You know, watching United play is going to be difficult. And with the ownership they have, it's really going to hurt my overall rank. But at the same time, I think for right now, I'm okay not having them. Yeah. I mean, that's valid, dude. I think my whole thing is after holding Rashford through last week, which he almost was out of my team, he's probably just going to stay because, I mean, 
with Arsenal and Brighton, and then the run of fixtures they have after that for the next four weeks, I'm going to want to have him. So unless something crazy happens, he's going to stay put in my team. I would not be shocked to see United get thrashed by Arsenal or Brighton. I would I think love one of the two. for Arsenal to thrash them. That one would of the be two, I think, just if you look at the way United are setting up, I think there's not a lot of stability there defensively for them. Um, with Shaw being out, you know, mounts out. So there's a lot of the interplay and the engine there gone. There's a lot on Casemiro, right, defensively. And let's say he picks up an injury, he picks up a red, you know, he's shown he's very likely to do that in the Premier League. Because he's a... Never mind. <laughs> Good Never mind. call. Good call. Um, I don't know. I, I think United is kind of a swerve for me at the moment. While they did play good um, last week, I think I'm okay with, you know, not not being on them at the moment. Yeah, that's that's totally agreed. That's totally fine. Um, well, I think that's all I have, Luke. Yeah, me too. Um, I think hopefully we've been able to help FPL managers out there have an idea of what to do with upcoming weeks um, and kind of help them decide on some more difficult topics, you know, kind of which way their team should go. So hopefully our information is helping you guys out out there. Yeah, I think um, just like usual, um, if you have any questions, any discourse you want to run past us, just reach out to us on our socials. We're on instagram we're on twitter we're on threads as that's a dying platform i guess but um youtube just how if you have our numbers give us a call we does not bother us at all um yeah i just hope that everybody has a good rest of their week and we'll see you one, soon one last note though as we said in the beginning of the podcast great job marina you you <laughs> killed it this week yeah absolutely marina that was that was a great performance you put in yeah Okay, well, thanks, guys. We'll be back next week. Um, we'll probably do a pod between the international break just to kind of provide some content for you for FPL, but we'll be back soon. So thanks. All right, everybody. Have a good one.